Hi, my name is Nancy Mulemwasisi, host of Concrete Pastures Podcast, and my block is transnational. You are listening to Season 5 of My Dad's Podcast, My Black is Transnational, a podcast about blackness and her reconnecting back to our native homelands. Find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Check us out on YouTube. You can follow us on Instagram or blacktransnational.com. Thank you for listening and enjoy the show. are listening to a special episode another special episode of my black is transnational but this is special because we are doing a crossover episode between this podcast and the concrete pastures podcast and so i'll get into that a little bit more but first let's go through our formalities if this is your first time listening to the podcast you can find this podcast wherever you listen to your favorite podcast whether it's stitcher which i think it's leaving now but google Spotify, Apple, wherever you listen to your favorite podcast, you can find this podcast there. Please be sure to rate and review the podcast and download it and leave some feedback for us so that we can continue to develop and customize this podcast for your ears. And also, you can check us out on social media. Find me, the host, at Black Transnational underscore. You can also find this podcast at Black Transnational Podcast on Facebook and IG, Instagram, respectively. You can find this podcast also on Twitter, barely, at MB Transnational. And then you can check us out, for real, for real, on our website at www.blacktransnational.com. Okay? And so... <clears throat> This episode is just, I'm just doing a quick overview. I'm not going to take too long, but I get the fortune of being able to do crossovers. And I love doing crossovers as I continue to meet more and more African immigrant podcasters who are doing a lot to share the African experience and capture it. Um, I'm doing a, I'm really enjoying the opportunity to be able to meet and, and, and share platforms with people. So I get to do that with my good sis, Nancy Malemwa Sisi of Concrete Pastures. And so we do a nice collab. So I'm not going to say too much more, but it's an opportunity for us to be able to get to know each other and and learn about our histories and ask each other questions. We kind of do an interview of each other, sort of, but we're also then evolving into this conversation about what inspired us, our platforms and, and all the things. So you get to know a little bit more about us as hosts, but as people, because we're getting interviewed while we're also doing the interviewing. And I thought that was really neat. Um, so I want to give a special thanks to um, uh, to my sister Malemwa uh, and Cece, Malemwa Cece, uh, and um, also the Concrete Pastures team and everyone else who kind of supported this, the pod break team. I want to give a shout out to them. And so, yeah, I, I hope you all enjoy the conversation uh, and please, you know, share your feedback and thoughts, but support both of us. Find her podcast as well at Concrete Pastures. You can find that anywhere you listen to your favorite podcast as well. All right. So let's get into the conversation. How are you? We're good. We're good. This is the, this is exciting. Welcome to our crossover episode. I um, Dr. <laughs> Kalechi Bay Lamberts, and uh, I'm even nervous. I'm messing up my name, but I'm here uh, on the Black My Blackest Transnational podcast. We're doing a crossover episode with Concrete Pastures. So I have my sister here, um, Nancy Malemwa. Cici, um, hi. Talk to me. 
Kilaichi. Kilaichi. Oh my God. I'm excited for this crossover. Yeah. And it's uh, I think it's we're both testing the waters yeah. as how this is gonna go. Yeah. So guys, bear with us. Yeah. From Creek Pastures family. This is crossover to Black East Transnational. Yes. I love it. Love it. I love what my brother is doing on his side. That's why he's crossing over to us yes. and educating us on yes. what he's doing. Yes. Um but yes, this is going to be very exciting. Doctor, I should not miss that. No, we're family. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. I'm, I'm part of the pod <laughs> break family crazy. now, so it's fine. <laughs> right? And so. Oh, my God. We already started. Yeah. So I'm not even going to do the whole intro thing. Okay. So I'll, um, I'll start with your name. I asked you before. I'll start with your name. Mm -hmm. You have an hyphen in your name. Mm -hmm. And it boggled my mind the first time we met. For anybody who has listened already, we met uh, on the Father's Day event that we had. Mm -hmm. We were all organizing it together with Pasa Pasa, Mo Sibo, and Black is Transnational, mm -hmm. and he's here. So um, I'm excited. Yeah. Off I... of that episode, we are here yeah. to get to know the man more. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it was, it was, it was, us. Yeah. how come you have a hyphen in your name? Well, yeah, I, my name is eBay Lambert and, and that goes into, right. When we talk about the, um, my black is transnational and what this show is about and, and going back to your roots. And so my last name is also tied into that. And so for me, for those who don't know, um, I was born in Nigeria and I immigrated here at a very young age and, and I essentially identify as a 1.5 um, generation immigrant, um, transnational Nigerian, but I'll talk more about that on this show. But as far as my last name is concerned, uh, so the eBay Lambert's part is essentially, so the Lambert, and it's usually Lambert without the S, but La but I use, we use the S because it's plural for the family, but I, I explain. So Lambert Festus eBay is my grandfather's name. And so the eBay is, a, has been shortened for a longer last name. But what essentially happened um, is that there, my family has these like two dynasties. You have like the eBay Godfrey's and the eBay Lambert's. And so the Lambert's part essentially became like children of, the hyphenated essentially became eBay Lambert's in sense of anyone who were the descendants of my grandfather, Festus, or Lambert Festus, eBay, essentially became children of eBay, right? So I'm Igbo. My culture is Igbo, east part of Nigeria, and my family live in, in the, the the actual state, Emo uh, state, um, in a village. And so eBay Lambert essentially means like children of eBay. And then I have my cousins who are eBay Godfrey, and they're, they're essentially children of Godfrey, right? And so, but they're all part of the eBay, and the full name is eBay Akolam. That's the whole like last name. But they shortened it so that they can then hyphenate it to show who is under which particular dynasty, if you get what I'm saying. So, mm. like, you know, like British house, you know, like house of, you know, it's like house of. Yes, yeah, yes, it's yes. very similar. Very similar. No, I, I, I get it now. Yeah, I, I, I get it now. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. You came here from what I've been uh, listening to. You came here at the age of eight. Yeah. Well, I just turned I just turned eight. Yeah. December 1997. Uh, my daughter is eight, and um, the first time she went to Zambia now, this year she went to Zambia, oh, yeah. her mind was blown out. So I can't imagine you coming from Nigeria to America. Mm -hmm. How was that for you? Well, I mean, it was, 
it was something... whatever you can remember. Well, I, I can remember it all. <laughs> I, it, I was, you know, I was eight. And first, of course, like most immigrants, touched down in New York. And I was there with some family for a little bit. But then we moved to Chicago with my mom. Um, and so that uh, was was fun. and it, it But it was very interesting uh, because for me, I... Growing up in Nigeria, we spoke English, and I grew up in a space where the Queen's English was encouraged. And so for me, I didn't have an issue acculturating a little bit easier compared to maybe some of my other contemporaries because they had already kind of gotten me to try to, you know, the idea of being more sophisticated is being able to speak that proper English. And to, so I I had to already, the only thing I was missing was just understanding some of the the slangs, you know, but because I was so young, I was very, I was easy to mold and it was easy for me to be a chameleon. So I never really lost track of my Nigerian accent. I can still, you know, and that's the whole concept of me being transnational was that I, never really fully acculturated, but I understood that I could have the best of both worlds. And as I grew up, I started to realize that I was benefiting from both lives. I was able to speak English like the Americans here, but I also, when I was home, I was speaking in um, my native accent and native tongue for to a certain extent. Uh, I never truly learned the, the, the native language in Nigeria, which is something that always... Um, irks at me over the years as I've gotten older and I have children of my own. I wish I knew the language very well. I understand it, but to speak it is a different thing. And so that is um, throughout the course of my experience growing up, I didn't really look. It was very difficult for people to really know that I was like Nigerian. I mean, unless like you were really, really Nigerian, like some Nigerians just know. But overall, I adapted pretty well and people would be like, oh, I didn't know you were Nigerian until you hear my name. And of course, for any young immigrant growing up, you had a phase in your life where you weren't really going by your African name. It wasn't cool back then to be African. So at that point, you know, I was going by, you know, I was going by Kelly in, with my family. Um, then when I got to school, you know, I got baptized and I said I want to change my name to Kenny. Kenneth, my dad's name is Kenneth, so I wanted to go by Kenny. And so um, I went by that through high school. And I got to college, right, and we went, you know, I kind of went back to Kalechi Kelly, but I called it Kells. And so, like, the people, my cousin, actually, who's my roommate in college, um, started calling me Kells, and everybody started knowing me as Kells. And so I went through these different iterations of, you know, my identity when I was coming up as this young transnational immigrant. Like, I was trying to figure out, and it wasn't until I was a senior in, in college and grad school that I started to really take more pride in being Kalechi because I understood the meaning of it, understood that it was unique, at least for, for a long period of time. There weren't that many people named Kalechi. And so, and then most times, Kalechi is a unisex name, so you didn't know, if, most times they think it was a girl, <laughs> which is which I've gotten many emails, it's like, dear ma'am, <laughs> dear madam, you know, <laughs> and so, um, so, but it's always, it's always, I, I took a lot of, I took a lot of pride, and I take a lot of pride in my name, my African name, and so I got to a point where, unless you really knew me, or unless we're very, very close, or we've, we're very 
um, familiar with one another, call me Kalechi. Um, if you know me very well, you knew me when I was growing up, sure, call me Kells, call me Kelly, whatever the case may be. But moving forward, most of the time I introduce myself as Kalechi and people just have to understand, you know, how to learn how to pronounce it and say it. And um, but yeah, my, my, my experience as an immigrant in these new, you know, these new waters or pastures, as we, for lack of a better word right now, um, was just, I would say it was unusual because I didn't have, I didn't consider myself having that same typical immigrant experience that a lot of my, my own guests and um, interviewees have had, you know, even when I got interviewed on the Ponce Ponce you know, podcast, it was like, I blended so well. So I knew how to kind of navigate and go back and forth. And so I found myself feeling like I can thrive. And that's kind of essentially what led me to where I am now with this podcast. And I want to know if there are others out there and how they go about navigating and balancing both worlds, right? Being able to go back, like you just said, your daughter, you know, you were able to t go back, she was able to go back to Zambia, right? And so, like, I'm curious, you know, for for you, just take taking my answer and now asking you a question, yeah. I I'm curious in your situation, because you got here 20, you've been here for about 20 years, right? Since you immigrated, yep. growing up in Zambia, right? And so, what has your immigrant, what has your immigration experience been like for you in terms of what you brought from Zambia, your connection back to Zambia, how strong is it? How often do you go back? How much of an influence is the Zambian culture um, still present in your day-to-day -day life, even though you're living in the U.S. for over two decades? Um, so the Zambian culture is why I actually have the concrete pastures. Mm. Um. Coming here 20 years ago was hard with a lot of challenges, especially landing in New York, um, adjusting to a new culture, learning basically everything <laughs> from scratch. And in the community that I was received into, they didn't also know much. Not to their fault, they just didn't know. Mm. Whatever they explained, to me or whatever they shared with me is what I went by. So like, for example, I shared this before. Uh, I didn't open up an account until like maybe three years of being here mm. because somebody had told me you needed to have a social security number to open up an account. Mm -hmm. This is from my own little community. But until I did my own research, then I uncovered, you know, this is... Mm -hmm how it's supposed to go mm -hmm. but with the zambian culture oh my god um it's everything my what i brought with me is my core values mm -hmm. um my culture yes it's it's within me but my core values is what i brought with me with my what my with what my mom had installed with me in me mm -hmm. and my grandmother which is the bottom line believing in god i would not survive not being able to reach out to my higher power mm. in, in in times of everything that I've been through here in the 20 years. Mm -hmm. um, I would encourage anybody who's coming or who's been who's here to be, you have to believe in something that's bigger than you. Mm. 
to be able to survive outside any country because you go through so many trying times and um, in a foreign land, it crushes you so much. And a lot of the times you don't have support like you would have at home. And the moment, even when you think about that, like, I don't have support, it's even worse mm. for yourself. Um, so in terms of the Zambian culture, Concrete Pasture came uh, in that because I grew up back home. Mm. My roots are back home. And I wanted to give back to my Zambian community as this is the life of us immigrants. Mm. We highlight immigrant stories on Concrete Pastures. Yeah. This is the window to the life of what we live, it looks like. Yeah. Because they see us on Instagram. Mm -hmm. That day you're looking fabulous and you're looking great. A lot of people think that's the life that we, we are living every single day. Mm -hmm. But that's that's not it. So we're giving real life stories mm. to people, give them insight, changing their minds as to this is the life that we're living. Mm -hmm. So and that's been my... yeah. It's, 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 you know, and the fascinating thing about it for someone who's from West Africa, um, you know, funny enough, two weeks ago, I think no, last weekend, this week, yeah, two week, two week, two weekends ago, my wife and I just went to our first, um, we went to a first wedding and that was not Nigerian or Ghanaian related. <laughs> and so like oh, first wow. African, it was someone, from my, one of my young bros from Cameroon who married a young Zambian woman. And oh. it was a first time that I've ever seen and you know Zambian culture especially from the bride's side right and so it was beautiful but it just led me to realize like where all you know where are all the Zambian people at right and so then of course talking with you now I want to know what like the challenges I mean other other than English what, what are the main language like you know is it English like I mean for those who may not know because I think we tend to live in a world especially here in the U.S., where uh, it's very West African dominated, and so yeah. what I want to know a little bit more about, like where where was your community? Because we don't, I've never been exposed throughout my years being here to many people from Zambia, so I'm very intrigued as to what that process was like. Where where do you, where is your community, and and how can we? Is it a large one? You know, how do we get in touch with them? How do we connect? Because that that matters. <laughs> I mean, that community is no longer because everybody has moved to different states, mm. we've moved on, and we've grown. Mm. Um, but when I came, it was a lot of people that had been here longer than me, of course. Mm -hmm. um, I came with my aunt, and my aunt and her community, we just got, we, we joined her community. So a lot of people had, at the time that had been here like five plus years. And from whatever they had learned, the official language in my country is English. Okay. So we don't have any language barrier, okay. except the sim same similar to you, mm -hmm. like the slangs and stuff. Uh, that's the only issues we would have. Other than that, we can communicate. Uh, the only th actually, a lot of things that we get is, oh, you speak English and you feel offended. I used to feel offended a lot of the time. <laughs> I'm like, okay, I do speak English. Of course okay. I speak English, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, People, I would be surprised that people would be surprised that I speak English. Mm -hmm. That's the the part. Like, how, what do you think about us? But yeah, yeah and, how, and also how well you speak it, right? Like, that's the that's the part that always annoys me. You speak very good English. <laughs> that's how they would say it, actually. <laughs> but very politely, you speak very good English. Oh. Like, okay. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. 
but our community, we did a lot of partying. That's the piece that I had to come out of. Mm-hmm. Um, it brought our culture together. We played music from Zambia. We cooked. So it would be like maybe once a month. Mm-hmm. We would um, come together. We'd go to someone's house. We'd be playing Zambian music. We'd be cooking uh, fish, all kinds of foods mm-hmm. from from Zambia. Mm-hmm. Or even from here, but cooking it the Zambian way. Because mm-hmm. our foods, basically, is the same. We just cook differently, different spices, whatever mm-hmm. it is. Um, and then we'll just celebrate whatever, someone's birthday or Independence Day. Some, most, sometimes we'll go to the mission. We have, mm. uh, in here in New York, we do have the Zambian mission. So mm. we would go there. They don't do parties anymore, but they used to do the parties. If someone important came, let's say like the president came, we would go to meet the president. Mm-hmm. Um, we, it was very close to the Sapo community. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, we had a funeral. Everybody contributed. And... Um, it was actually nice in those mm. days. Like mm. you came, you felt welcome. And there was a lot of people informing you what to do, where to go, mm. how to get a job um, and all of that. Mm. But over time, mm. that was dying out because people find found better opportunities outside mm-hmm. New York. Uh, they moved to, you know, um, other states mm-hmm. where it's, you know, better to raise kids, mm-hmm. um, better jobs maybe. Yeah. I don't know, big houses and stuff yeah but overall it was great you, you know you know what was interesting and this is more for the people who are part of the concrete pastures family as so i'm sharing this information as, as to what um you know malemwa just said uh, i actually never shared that <laughs> so I, I know but but what i'm sharing with what, what i'm saying is that like what you just shared with us right now is what in my podcast we call the transnational experience and that, right, in terms of my research, so my, my podcast was supposed to be a product of me translating my research into the concept of transnationalism into like layman's term. That was what my goal was initially was to mm. take it and say, OK, I do a lot of research with terms of transnationalism and in in, in black immigrant communities and health. And but I, this concept of transnationalism and immigration and the immigrant experience, what is it and why is it so important? But using all the academic terms, I felt like wasn't going to be a good way to disseminate information for people who don't do academic research. It's for the day-to-day people who do this and don't even realize they're doing it. So what you explained was transnational because you just mentioned how everybody in your in the community before they grew apart and acculturated, whatever the case may be, you did everything that was very reminiscent of home even though you all are in the U.S., right? You did everything that you can to sustain your culture and what makes you all Zambian, the food, the birthday parties, even the way you party, right? Being able to create that home away from home and that resistance to truly acculturate into the American life, not doing parties the American way, but doing it design, that idea of being able to hold on to your culture in a new land and you still talk to your family back home, you still go back home, all of that is the transnational experience, and that's what you know shows the, the high-end value of what it means to be Zambian and why you don't want to just fully let that go because that's a major piece of who you all were or are. So I just wanted to share that for those who are like, what does it mean my black is transnational? What your host just shared is exactly what I was looking for, and that's why I'm glad to be able to talk with her. All right. 
So I'm going to go ask you a question. I'm ready. I'm ready. Guys, this is new. So actually having a conversation where we're asking each other questions. <laughs> um, why? What got you into transnational? The transnationalism. Um, so what got me into it was, was actually based off of, I was in doing my master's in 20, say by 2012, I was finishing, I was doing my, my, um, my master's thesis, uh, 2012 in the university of Illinois, Champaign. And I was trying to figure out, I was doing work on, um, water scarcity. I really was talking about water scarcity in Africa. And I wanted to do something about, you know, non-government, I mean, not non-government, yeah, non-governmental organizations, NGOs in Africa. Mm -hmm. There was one particular one that I remember called like WASH, which was supposed to be like for water sanitation and health. And I was trying to do a, a project about what's going on in Africa. But I remember having a conversation with my my uh, my advisor, good man, Dr. Reginald Austin. Um, shout out to Dr. Austin. And we were talking and he just started asking me about me, like my experience. And he was asking me about me growing up, similar to what you're doing here, but just talking about my experience and my family, my mom. And I realized in the conversation, he kind of pointed it out. He's like, he's like, you kind of are tapped into the African and you're also Americanized. So he was like, how does that work for you? And we, so in the process of me talking about this with him, I realized that I, we, I have something unique and I wanted to really delve into it. And so as I continue to dive into the idea of what it is to go back and forth, like why do Africans or even immigrants in general have this ability to go back to their home country? You bring what you want, what you bring whatever you want from your home country. You can take whatever you want from your new country. You create this bridge. And is this unique or is this something everybody does? And so I realized that in the when I was doing my research that this situation only is being published more when it comes to the Latinx community and some parts of the Asian community, but they didn't really talk about it in the black community. And it was because there's this tension, this, 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 this tension that exists in the black community overall, but they don't also do enough research to show that African immigrants and African Americans are different. And so for someone like me who's experienced both cultures and is in, um, integrated in both worlds, I felt like we have a bridge, but most of us don't talk about it. We just do it. The Africans just do it. They don't even know what they're doing. And, you know, the um, African-Americans have no idea that they have an opportunity to be able to reconnect back home. So I felt like in my process, I started building on not just caring about African immigrants, but caring about this ability that they have by choice. Because you can come to a new country and say, you know what, I don't want nothing to do. I don't want anything to do in Nigeria anymore. I don't want anything to do with Zambia anymore. You can yeah. come and make that choice, but some people come and you still choose to call your parent, your parents, you call your aunties and uncles to send money, to send clothes, to travel to see, so they can see you and bring gifts because you don't travel empty-handed. We know this, so you travel with gifts, right? Your two luggages, whatever the case may be. So that idea is a, is by choice, and but how does this these choices we make influence our health, our stress, our ability to eat? Our ability to engage in physical activity. We're influenced by home. You're influenced by home because of our connection to home. So how does that play a role in our behavior here in the United States? And that's how I started off, you know, my research agenda. And that grew from my, my to my doctoral um, dissertation and the work that I've 
published in, in articles now. But then, I, like I said, I wanted to take all of that and translate it to some in a way that people who don't care about my academic publications, how can we still have this conversation so that you realize that what you're doing, what you're doing on a day-to-day basis within your immigrant experience is a transnational activity. But then how can you take your transnational ability to be able to now build a bridge that connects not just fellow African immigrants, but how do we now bridge the gap between African Americans and African immigrants so that they can also be connected back home if they choose to, just like we choose to come over here. So, or some people don't because they're refugees. So I want to be conscious of that. But, um, you know, for those who are voluntary immigrants, who that choice you make to be able to go back and stay connected to home, how do we leverage that to be able to have the best of both worlds? So that was ultimately the gist of what my podcast and the, the transnationalism was. And that's where my passion lies uh, when it comes to the conversation about immigrants and immigrate immigration and immigrant experiences. So basically yeah. the bridge. Yeah, that's, that's the symbol. The symbol is the bridge, um, being able to connect, but also because the, my philosophy is that there are many people historically, especially when we talk about the African-American community, which I want to talk about more with you, but the African-American communities, um, some were forced, their ancestors were forced to migrate to the United States um, when we talk about slavery. Um, there were people who were forced slaves who had no choice but to migrate. But now you have an ability to be able to build a bridge that connects you back to the land where you were taken from forcefully. right? So then that bridge, I believe, is transnationalism. It doesn't have to be a one-way thing. It could be two ways. Um, and so I feel like African immigrants who come here, you choose when you want to be this and when you want to be that. You choose when you want to go home for this. And I want to create that opportunity to be able to now unite all blacks as best as possible um, to give them that opportunity to be able to reconnect back home. But still also understand that historically you built your ancestors built this nation, too, so you don't have to lose your rights to benefiting what this land offers, but you also have a home that you are taken from, that you also have people there who want you home, who want to embrace you. So let's take advantage of that too, and let's be able to do both if we can to, to you know, maximize our ability to thrive. So that that's the goal. That's the gist. Okay. So I asked this question to yeah. um, one of our guests, I think cultural people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He um he's into bridging the gap between the Africans and uh, the African Americans, uh-huh. just showing the culture and he's in his own way. Uh-huh. It's similar, same uh-huh. thing, Pan Africanism. Um, my question to you is, uh-huh. how are you bringing us Africans with African Americans together? Because there's this invisible beef. Yeah. If, lack of a better word. Yeah. There's just this invisible yeah. beef yeah. that's there that yeah. Africans are feel superior or African-Americans feel some type of way that Africans are here and you don't really belong here. Mm-hmm. And similar to the Africans, it's like, okay, we belong here. You mm-hmm. came and you, you know, you've built all of this for us, so we've come. Mm-hmm. 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 How are you, um, I guess, 
bring everybody together to have that understanding that we are all one people yeah. at the end of the day. It's through conversations. It's through this my platform, but it's also through new um, ideas and initiatives that we're trying to take. So the first thing is like talking about conversations because of my ability to kind of go and blend in both cultures. I'm married to an African-American woman. You know, I, so I have family that's that, but even, even in being here, as you know, when you, when you earlier asked about my immigration experience, that was a huge part of it too. Really, I'm a huge history buff. And so when I was younger, I used to read a lot of history books. And so I, compared to most African immigrants, and not all, but some, um, I really took a lot of time to read about the history and stumbled upon learning about black history, which wasn't something that I learned a lot in school. But it was just me being in the library, going to the library all the time. So I learned about a lot about black history and really immersed myself in understanding that. And so I grew a level of not just empathy, um, but also understanding of the plight of African-Americans. And so it was easy for me to be able to already because I, I look at the way I talk, the way I was able to code switch. So I understand black culture. And so I'm able to utilize my agency in both worlds, right? Because many of us who identify the way I do kind of find themselves in a situation where they're too African to be American, too American to be African. And because we find ourselves in the middle, we tend, I kind of leaned into it where it's like, yeah, but I can be able to now bring in both worlds. And because we can have a conversation and you can start to realize that if we don't have this conversation, your kids, your kids, kids at some point, right? You can't avoid it. <laughs> you can try, but you can't avoid the acculturation of what your kids, your, your descendants will be years, years when you're gone. So the easiest thing we can do is try to have these conversations. So I try to have conversations on my on my podcast. I bring in people who are African-Americans who can speak and share their perspectives on the African immigrants and vice versa. Um, but another thing that we're doing and my wife and I did is that we started a nonprofit organization called Transnational Bridges. And one of the things that we're working on doing now is trying to create um, events and uh, special projects and where we can be able to have a platform where real conversations. I had a podcast episode and the word that was used that still res resonates with me is reconciliation. And so we there needs to be a reconciliation that occurs between both groups. And so my goal is to be able to not force it to happen, but be able to let you all realize that African-Americans and African immigrants, this invisible beef is almost like Two, it's almost like two twin sisters who were told rumors about each other, but never confronted themselves about it. You've been gossiping about people, have been gossiping about you to each other, and you've been believing the gossip. They say you oh, this, you're this, you're this, and you just believe it. And because of that, now you don't like each other, even though you all are in the same space. You're from the same home, you're from the same village. But now somebody told you that your sister did this, or your sister said you're this. And you believe it. And then you two, you're telling other other people are telling you that your sister is this and your sister is that. And you believe in it. And so why can't we just come to the same forum and have this conversation? And so I try my best to create opportunities to, if not share information, share um, resources, media, whatever the case may be, where people can realize that we're the same. We Our culture is not as different as you think. 
because there were many people who were taken from their home in Africa who really did whatever they could in some way, shape or form and even died with it to make sure they held on to some aspect of what made them African, despite whatever was done to them. They still held on in some way, shape, or form, and it was passed on. And even though people may feel like it's watered down, it's still some remnant of where they left or where they were taken from. So I try to show that. And I think in my own marriage, I, I see the parallels. When I talk to my, um, my father-in-law and we talk about his upbringing in the South and start to see the way the food and some of the things they did, it's, 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 it's not that far off than, than, than we make it. So there are different ways in which we can go about it, but it has to be reconciliation that occurs. Listen, I, I applaud you for the work you're doing because I think it's a tough project yeah. that you are on. But what, <laughs> it's it, it's a needed mission that yeah. you, you are doing. But reconciliation? Um, what are your thoughts? I want to know. I, I can't wait just for that to happen. Because mm. in my brain, I'm just like, I don't know how that's going to happen because some people are going to be feeling some type of way. I'm mm. like, okay, why should we? Mm. There's nothing that has happened. Yeah. So, but like, but, okay, so your experience being here as long as you've been here, like, what were some of the things? And so how are you, how did you perceive African-Americans? How were you received in, especially being in New York, right? Where, you know, they're, they're, <laughs> yeah. What, what was that like for you? I want to know. Oh my God. I'll tell you this story. So um, I actually never shared this. Wow. I don't know if I have. Um, so one day I'm like walking. I, I, I first arrived, I was living in the Bronx. So I'm absent-minded, I'm in my thoughts, whatever. So I'm walking and this girl, um, she's African-American and she, she's walking in front of me. I didn't see that she was there. I'm just walking and apparently I was staring at her Oh, <sighs> without me realizing that I was staring. And she pops her neck. She's like, take a picture. It lasts longer. I was like, okay. <laughs> so that was my first encounter with that. So you can imagine how my brain mm. was processing that. Mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, this is how everybody is. Mm -hmm. I need to be on guard as to how I'm walking around in the Bronx, how I'm acting on the train, how I'm even approaching people, even at work, mm. like there's, I don't even know how to explain it. I've, I've, uh, from the encounters that I've had, I've been called racist. Mm. I worked in Harlem. My first job was in Harlem. And the first time I was called racist by a fellow black person, I, I, I almost died. Like I felt mm. like I just needed to shrink mm. and it was such a disappointment for me because mm -hmm. I didn't do anything that accelerated to that point. I, w I work in a bank. Mm -hmm. At the time I was a teller, I could not do the transaction due to pro process and procedures. Mm -hmm. That was it. And you were called racist. Period. And that was it. We have processes and procedures that we have to follow. Right. And I explained what it was. You were racist. And at the time, the, the person didn't even know that. <laughs> they don't even know. Like, mm -hmm. I was yeah, from the same. Mm -hmm, okay. Mm -hmm. So if you ask me my perception mm -hmm. or, or how I'm thinking about 
African American? Yeah. I, I don't know. Mm. Well, did, I don't know. Did, 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 so when you were growing up in Zambia, because you came up, you came to the country a lot more, a lot older than I was when I immigrated. Did you have this perception based off no, what you saw? Okay. No, okay. I, I, I loved everything African Americans did. Okay. Everything, I, the music, everything. That's how I fell in love with America. Mm. So I watched a lot of videos, everything. Like, I, I when I came, I had teams, everything. Yeah. Okay. So I was in the culture. It was just disappointing, and I'm not one to like provoke people. Course, yeah. I want to stay away from trouble. Yeah. That's the type of person I am. So for those encounters to highlight my whole thing, but now I'm older, to be honest. So I'm not going to hold those to other people. I've met lovely people mm. along my journey of being here. Um, it's just now I'm more conscious as to how oh. I go about my my life. Yeah. And it's something that I also shared. It's not only African American, it's also like Caribbean. Mm-hmm. I got I got in an Uber and one lady thought I was a babysitter of my of my own daughter. Wow. Um she had an accent. I right away thought uh, she she was from the Caribbean, mm-hmm. but it was just puzzling to me. I'm like, how do you just assume that I'm a babysitter of my own child? Mm. Oh, she's too pretty. Like, oh, okay. That's what she told me. She told me she's too pretty to be your child. She went ahead and said that. And that's also the thing. So for me, I try to just, I guess now, meet people where they are. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, <laughs> However mm-hmm. they react, I was like, oh, okay, that's where you are, right? Mm-hmm, no problem. Mm-hmm. We'll leave you there. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah, no, that's... So when you ask me, I don't know. I don't know. I take people as they come. <laughs> that, that's what I'll tell you. I'll take people as they come. Okay. So when they show me who they are, I was like, okay, great. Mm. Have a good day. You just roll with that. My goodness. Yeah. So like, then if that's the case, so in your perspective, um, the idea of reconciliation does mm. that seem realistic to you? It it does in some levels, mm. but I don't need it really. Mm. I don't mm. need it because mm. it's not everybody. I've again, I've met lovely people in my line of work. I meet people from all over the world, and I think in a way I was prepped to be on this stage because of that. So for me to have reconciliation, I don't really need it mm. because it's not all of African Americans that have have right. done this. Right. So I don't really need it, and and neither should they want it from us, honestly, because not everybody has done anything to them except America itself. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, so there's a, there's a, I don't know, there's an interesting documentary that I would recommend you watch. And it's just, it was one that actually was very powerful because I actually had the, the producer on show this season. Um, it's called um, Bound and it's by a woman named, from Kenya named Perez Owino. And it's interesting Ooh. because, you know, when you share some of your perspectives, she landed... Um, in the U.S. and and she did a project in in, in New York City, I, I believe. Um, <laughs> and uh, it's, it's it's available. I think it's on like on YouTube or something. But it's 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 called Bound. What's the name of it? It's called Bound. B O U N D. African oh, okay. versus African American. It's a very rich um, documentary. It's very good. It just explaining from both sides and, and and that that idea of reconciliation was one that came up um, 
to me again, uh, just just seeing that. But like, so it's you mentioned your daughter going back to Zambia, and I know that you have you know your, your kids. How much does that mean to you to be able to have them be able to, especially? I don't know if they were born here, but how they're born here. Oh, they're born here. So yeah. how much? How important is it for you to be able to make sure that they know where their mother's home is? Oh yeah, it, it, it's imperative that they connect to where I'm from, so this way they can also understand me, mm. what, how I behave, how like just in the way that I move, mm. they can understand as to why mom is like this. Mm. And I think my daughter has gotten to understand. I know she's too young, but she's gotten to understand somewhat how I act, why I act the way I act, mm-hmm. and why I'm the way I am. And for it was the first time for her to meet my mom oh, in wow. person. Uh, same thing for my son. So both of them had never met my mom, and it was important that we went home mm-hmm. and they got to meet her. They got to connect with their cousins, my sisters. Um, it, it was just beautiful. It, it, it was beautiful, but it's important that they know the culture. They, I, I'll make it a point now. They never complained, not even one day. They actually would never didn't want to come back. So it wow. was a positive uh, trip. Yeah. Um, I'll make it a point now for us to go back um, every now and then, just to make sure that they keep that connection, the yeah. bridge. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the transnational, so yeah. they're now transnational. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I want, but I know you may have some more questions. I just, I, I want to hear if you have any more. No, back to you. Um, how are you keeping the culture in your home? I know um, you are busy. Yeah. You're married to an African American. Yeah. How are you keeping your Nigerian culture uh, alive in your home? Yeah, it was. Um, I was fortunate enough to marry someone who was open-minded and she never my wife when we met never really encountered or knew or I even say dare I say cared about like the African she's not because she was in medical she's not focused on that she just was like she had her own experiences and I mean if not for running into me maybe she may have had a, a friend or two that <clears throat> from med school that were African but yeah you know it wasn't something that she was looking for but I think uh, when we met and we became serious and of course we were sharing our lives with one another and trying to see how it matches for the long term, it was a very big part for me. That was the first thing I came in saying is like, look, I'm 90. I mean, yeah, I, I talk like this and yeah, but I'm like, I switch it and I'm real African and I'm Nigerian. So like, when it's kind of see my mommy now, you have to, <laughs> you have to organize yourself. <laughs> oh, I hear it now. <laughs> you see, like, yeah, so I have to be like, look, I can do all that talking, talking stuff, but when I'm around my mommy now, see, my accent <laughs> changes, and that means you two, you have to sort yourself out too, so that we can be able to <laughs> get me. So, it was, so I, but I had to tell her, look, I'm Nigerian, I eat Nigerian food, and I do Nigerian things, and I like Nigerian music, in addition to all the other things that I do, right? So I blend it, and she was just like, okay, so what does that mean? What does it mean to be Nigerian, right? And so, I showed her, and so like with the food and with the with the clothing, and when she would interact with my parents or my cousins or go to some events, um, it was it was like oh wow, but it really didn't really I mean hit her until she actually went to Nigeria with me. So when we after we got engaged, 
um, in 2017, I think we went back to Nigeria. <clears throat> she went to Nigeria with me for the first time. We went to the capital city, Abuja. And so she, at that point, was when she saw the land, saw the people, and was like, wow. You know, as an African-American, she's like, I, all my life, I've always just known that, you know, as white people and we're the minorities, when you come mm. to a land and you see everybody's black, right? It's like, wow, it just hits you. And so it was, it was a very important part for her to experience that. But then, of course, over time, um, we, when it came to the food and when it came to the clothing, she was welcoming that when we had our children and, you know, my oldest made sure we were, she exposed to all of that. And, um, but I also, and she's still a very much an advocate of making sure that we as Africans also were exposed to the African-American culture. So, and I never wanted to like, I never wanted to dismiss or make it feel less than. And so in order for us to really retain, we have to understand that both cultures matter and both cultures play a major role for where we are today. And so when it comes to like our kids, it's it's mixed right because we'll go to you know nigerian events and they see the nigerian food they eat the nigerian food but they also are very much so into the american culture and so for example um we did our thanksgiving because moving back to chicago was very helpful when we were in new york for the past four years before the pandemic and during the pandemic you know we were very isolated so being able to retain african culture is really a product of of really my efforts, but being back in Chicago now where I grew up, where my village is, so to speak, my mom is here, relatives are here, you know, you are able to see it a lot more, like clearly, where they see all the the clothes, you know, we just went to the tailor to get clothes sewn for them, they're bringing fabric, so they get to see it more, and, um, but for example, I was going back, I was saying Thanksgiving, being back in Chicago was the first time where it was what we call a transnational Thanksgiving dinner where my wife made the African food, right? Just to show that she's also, you know, integrated or immersed in the culture. And I made the African-American soul food dinner, right? And so, yeah, so we switched, right? Usually that's, yeah, so whatever was our specialty. She she, she made the fufu and everything? Yeah, yeah, she made all of that. So so we switched our roles because I make the, I normally make the African dishes. And so we, whatever our recipes were, we just shared it with each other. And so she cooked the African dinner and I made the African-American dinner and that's when we shared it with our families and they, we just said, guess who made it, right? So they had to just figure out if who cooked what. And so that was fun for us. And so that's kind of how we want to go about carrying it is knowing that we want to take advantage of what both cultures bring. And I think that yeah. allows us to be able to um, really give our kids the opportunity to feel empowered. They feel They don't have to feel like, they're limited to just being black American. You're also yeah. Nigerian. You're also from this. You're also from one of the, the nation. I mean, the world's largest, <laughs> like, you know, city with the most populated people and the most stressful, yeah. the most stressful political system you ever hear of. But like, you know, and and I want them to also see what it is being American here. So um, as they grow up, they're very I don't want them to have that same sense of embarrassment that we kind of had growing up as young immigrants. I'm hoping that growing up, my kids will have that sense of pride that they are able to benefit from all of it, that it all belongs to them and they can lean into that. Yeah, yeah. no, it's it's definitely important. And that's beautiful yeah. that, you know, your wife cooks, uh, 
you're challenging foods. <laughs> jollof fries. Oh, and, yeah. oh my god, I can't even. Wait, so Zambia people, y'all don't eat jollof fries? No. What? Please, what's the what's the dishes that Zambian people eat? Like, hey, um... I beg. We eat shima, so okay. it's like fufu for you guys. Okay, okay. But yeah, and then um, we we prepare food differently than mm-hmm. you do. Mm-hmm. You guys mixed meat with dry fish mm-hmm. and ah, a big <laughs> ah, this time when i went we now have nigerian restaurants in zambia okay okay i went with my sister i'm like no let me get jello fries for my mom so i i went in and she was ordering i don't know the the, the same meat with uh dry fish and all of that mm-hmm. I, I couldn't I've tried it many times. It's just, it's an acquired taste. Mm. But when you eat it from childhood, I mean, you acquire a taste from childhood. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, it's just challenging. I, I like the fufu that you guys have with, okay. uh, um, the, with the one with the plantains, the one with the cassava. Okay. I just love it. I love those. Um, just And plain chicken, just. Plain oh, chicken. just, I was going to say, what do you eat it with? <laughs> yeah, just the plain chicken, okay. you know, cooked. No fish in it, no fish, nothing. Yeah. Just. Yeah, <laughs> and vegetables. But um, New York, we have good food okay. um, in New York. So anytime you know we want some jello fries, yours is spicy. We like Senegalese oh, in this see. house. Okay, okay. Um, okay. I like the spice one. I don't mind yours, mm-hmm. but my daughter prefers Senegalese because it's not spicy. Yeah, yeah. So do your kids yeah. eat? Do your kids eat African food, the Zambian food, often, or is there a mix? It's a mix. Okay. Um, it's a lot to prepare. I'm yeah. a single parent. Yeah. So with my daughter, she likes the shima. Okay. With just tomato sauce. Um, I, I make like sauteed tomatoes and onions, mm. and then I'll put like some spices in it. That's mm. all she learns to eat mm. with the shima. That's it. Mm. Or vegetables, if I make vegetables on the side. So once a month, twice a month, we do that. Yeah. Or I'll just buy her jello fries yeah. and we can have that together as yeah. African food. But we still keep the tradition. We still keep the tradition. That's awesome. <laughs> That's, you know, and one of the things you mentioned there is interesting because um, that is uh, one of the one of the research that I did was trying to see how often, you know, African immigrants retain their traditional diets and um one of the things that was mentioned was it was it, similar to what you said it's it, it would be nice to do it but I'm a single mom or I work two jobs or I work three jobs and I don't have the time because African food despite how delicious it is takes it a takes long time, time. <laughs> it's like oh, meal prepping oh, right like so it's like a major meal prepping so that means if we're eating african food we're really doing it on sunday and we're cooking the whole thing sunday and that's all True. of sunday yeah. that means that soup whatever you make has to last the whole week <laughs> you know until you do it sunday again. the whole week uh, but yeah like in the bronx when i was living with my aunt we used to cook mostly on sunday mm-hmm. and we all sit down and shima fish whatever we were cooking mm-hmm. from um that you know incorporated with our zambian stuff mm. it was usually on sundays and that would last us probably maybe three days into the week or whatever it is mm. but every day it's impossible mm. and also now i'm conscious uh about my diet because mm. our food is not the healthiest food yeah 
yeah. it, it, it's not. So I, I'm just cautious also about that. So, um, yeah, but it's beautiful. It's beautiful that we continue to return our culture, you know, our food, uh, the music. Mm. The music. You guys are doing a phenomenal job, though. Like, Nigerians, amazing. Yeah. Uh, with the music. The whole world has caught on now because of you guys. Yeah. I mean, the idea of being cool to be African um, has has definitely become mainstream nowadays mm, but yeah what is that what has that done for you as zombies because again the, the whole west african dominated culture but i think things are picking up now i mean south africa a little bit kenya i mean as far as like music and culture and dance becoming more prevalent like you know the ama piano movement is more of like a south african thing that's grown and that's where the that's what the real heat is now but for like someone from from Zambia, like what does that do now for you or your children? This idea of it being cooler to be African has that played a role in influence how comfortable you all are living in the U.S. now? I don't know. To be honest with you, I, I don't want to yeah lie. I, I don't want to say something that I haven't even like connected to. Okay, I love what's happening, but has it has it affected me in any way or my family? maybe that like, I just haven't noticed it. Okay. Maybe I just haven't noticed. I haven't paid attention to it. I love the attention that our artists on the continent are getting mm -hmm. and they're being noticed and Africa is being noticed as a whole. Mm -hmm. um, even though when they, people see me now, they all think we are Nigerian. <laughs> I have to explain where I'm from every time. <laughs> You're Nigerian. Literally yesterday too. <laughs> really? Yes. Oh yeah, I'm used to this already. Oh, I before I used to feel some type of way. I was like, uh, I'm grown. <laughs> <laughs> like no, you know, I'm from Zambia. Where is that? <laughs> oh my god! Even even the people that say Nigeria, I don't think even people know exactly where Nigeria is. Just <laughs> they just the say popularity yeah, of it. Yeah, they just know. Okay, you African Nigeria. Yeah. All right, but they, I don't think they even know. Like it's no. The location. No, they have no idea. They have <laughs> no idea. They have no idea where it is. But they don't know if it's West, East. They just know. They just Nigerians, Ghanaians, maybe. But that's it. That's yeah. What um, could you share with us? What got you into the medical field? Well, I'm not in the medical field. I'm in public health. My wife is oh, in public my, my health. I'm in sorry. Yeah. Either way. Public health. Yeah. Um. Well, like most Africans, though, there's a connection there. Um. There's. Like most Africans, I, I grew up in a space where I was told I needed to be, a, you know, one of four things, right? <laughs> <laughs> you already know, right? Doctor, lawyer, engineer, or a failure. So either way, and I, I couldn't be a failure. I didn't care about engineering. Um, you know, I didn't I didn't like to argue with people, even though I argue now. But I don't like to. I didn't care about lawyers either. I just felt like being a doctor was the goal. My dad was a he's a radiologist in the Nigerian Navy, or he's retired now, but he was so. You know, the idea of being an MD was like the goal, um, but I didn't, when I got to college, I realized that I didn't like medicine the way I thought I did. But even when going through college and going through the rigors of it, I was like, yeah, I got into community health and I graduated with a degree in community health. But in my mind, I was still like, I need to do medicine because everybody's expecting me to do medicine. And it wasn't until I even going through my master's and getting my, um, my master's in public health, um, I still was like, yeah, I'm going to get my doctorates and then I'm going to do my MD, PhD. 
and that's how I met my wife. <laughs> like I met my wife in the in the way in in pursuit of getting into MD school, getting to medical school, um, while also doing my PhD. And I was trying to figure out a way to make it work. And I just remember having a conversation with her, and we were in a in her car talking about just my plans. And I was saying like, yeah, you know, I'm gonna get my doctorate. Um, then I'm going to go to med school. I'm going to go to med school for four years and I'm going to practice for a couple years. And then I'm going to go back and do my PhD stuff. And she was like, wait a minute. So you're going to go through and incur all that debt. You're going to go through all that hell. And you're only going to practice for like three years. She was like, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. And I was like, you know, you might be right. Like, that is the stupidest thing I've My ever said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, I have to marry her, right? <laughs> so like, uh-huh. I said, because that's the first time somebody, I mean, like, I had a one of my, a good friend of mine, like, I consider a big sister, always told me that I would thrive in public health. She's like, public health is where you belong. But I was like, I'm not listening to you. But it was the way my wife said it. And I, it was it was one of the first times somebody actually told me, like, your plans are stupid. And, you know, for me, that was, that was I appreciated that because it wasn't anyone just hitting me with rose colored glasses and saying like, yeah. no, no. It was, and, it, and it wasn't just her saying like, you're stupid because you're trying. It was more like, you're not, think about this rationally. Like in terms of your life, your stress and everything that you're going to do, are you really trying to put yourself through all of this just for four Like you're not going to maximize your MD. And I thought about it. I was like, I really don't want to be in a hospital. I really don't want to be in nobody's clinic. I only doing this to make sure my parents are, my dad gets off my back or my mom gets off my back. But then at some point I got to the point where like a doctor's a doctor. And for me, I'd rather be happy with what I do because what I told myself and funny enough, my mentor told me when I was doing my postdoc was it doesn't matter what your degree is, because especially for your parents, if you send them a check with your name on it, they're not going to not cash it because you're not an MD. Like <laughs> they're going to still cash yeah. that check regardless. So it doesn't matter what you do. Are you happy with what you're doing? Are you are you are you? taking care of yourself? Are you thriving in your field? Are you satisfied? And so I love public health. I loved what I was doing. I loved the transnationalism. I didn't want to let it go. So, and the research in it, because I felt like I had something that no one else was doing and no one else really is doing what I'm doing. I'm still probably one of the few people that is doing this research. Yeah. Yeah. Because I, no I, one else. I think so too. Yeah. When I was doing research, I was like, really? There's nobody? No, not when it comes to black, not when it comes to black Africans. No, you can see yeah. something like Latinx, you know, Latinx community, but in terms, it's not that many people because again, that speaks to a lot of the, the issues that exist in the black community overall and the lack of research that happens. And so, you know, that's, that's, um, one of the things that got me into public health was also realizing that the only people that can take, we, we always talk about medicine, medicine, medicine. But public health in its own right, and you see what's happening in the pandemic, you see what's happening these past few years. How do we take this message and translate it in a way that our people, especially as our parents or whoever's here that's been here since the 60s, 70s, have migrated, like Auntie Kemi them, shout out to Auntie Kemi and Pansa Pansa, but like they're getting older. How do we take care of them? Because they're still very resistant to accepting the fact that they're living in America. Many of them immigrate and still believe that they're going to go back to Africa one day. And right. And there's there's this this pie in the sky idea. Oh, no, no. She's 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 a unicorn. She's an exception. She's not the tip. Like my mom, my mom right now to this day has been here for over 30 years. And you tell her in her mind, she's still. Like, I'm going back to Nigeria. And it's like, woman, you're like in debt, like for this. You know what I mean? Like, when are you going to do that? Right. You're still working, yeah. you know. So yeah. 
for me, I wanted to find a way to be able to, how do we take public health messaging? How do we take public health practices? And tra- the only people that can do that is the people who, it's the only people that can do it for us is us. <laughs> no one else is going to do it because the assumption is we're all African-American. God, the, the assumption is that we're all Nigerian. <laughs> like, when, you become, when you talk about African, right? You just, you just told me, right? That the idea yeah. is, so how do we start taking it and breaking down the black community so that you know that this group deserves this? This group needs to be approached in this way. The only people that can do that are people from our own respective community who can say, no, don't, don't do, don't give her that jollof rice. She's not from Nigeria. She doesn't like it, right? She likes uh-huh. this, right? Or don't give her this fufu thinking that she's Nigerian. No, she's from Zambia, yeah. right? The only people that can say that are people from that, from those, because when they look from the outside in, they just look at us and say, okay, you're black. You live in the Bronx. Chances are, unless we know your name, chances are you're African-American. Right. And if you yep. speak good English, you're very, yeah, you're just an educated African-American. Right. And so that we, we needed to be able to speak from within. Um, and I felt public health was a way to do that because medicine is a completely different structure that has its own bureaucratic processes and issues that wasn't going to help our people. Even though our people want to do that, it's more so for the, um, you know, for the uh, the, the pedigree and, the, and the, the, the actual ability to say that you're a doctor, but not really understanding the major impact that it have on a day-to-day term. How do we do that for people like our parents? Jeez. Man. My mom is not here, but how are you doing that for your mom though? Like how are you protecting well, her? It's, it's not easy, sis. I'm not going to lie to you. <laughs> it's not easy. That's, <laughs> this is why, you know, we had these collab, like we did, like I did with Ponsa Ponsa last year, we had this conversation about the intergenerational relationship and we wanted to build off of that. And I think, um, that's something that we're hoping to do moving forward is posting some type of forum that talks about the retirement. And because that's what I'm trying to do for my mom is, is to get her to understand that many of your, your, your people, the your mates, I will say, who came to the country around the same time as you, many of a, that first generation, they don't, they came in and they wanted to put their heads down, mind your business, work, send money home to the people who need it. That's what you do. You work, 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 you send money. But the issue Mm -hmm. is that you don't take advantage of the resources that are available to you for two reasons. One, you don't know. Two, you think it's for white people and not for you. It's not, it's un-African. And three, the bonus one is that racism exists. And sometimes even if you wanted to, because you were black, it didn't allow, they didn't allow you. So that was an issue too. But, um, I've been trying to explain to my mom that, you know, you've been here for so long. I think at this point, it's not about surviving. You've been working, 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 double shift, triple shifts. I'm trying to get you to, you, you, you send your kids. So you send your kids to go to these schools and become these high-end professionals. And the question I ask is, why don't you allow us to now use our expertise to better your life? Not just better the world so you can go to a party and say, my son is a doctor. But how can you now say, how do we leverage our kids being high-end professionals in this new world that we sweat blood, te- you know, blood, sweat, and tears for, that to give them opportunities that we didn't have in our old country, and now that they've taken advantage of it and they're successful, how do we now leverage that to better our lives as we age? How do we lean on their expertise and rely on them as experts to help our lives be better so that we can age healthily? And that's what I'm trying to convey to her, meaning. How do I get you to now understand, okay, take your home 
and let's figure out how we can get you into some financial literacy classes so that you understand how to understand what your assets are and understand how to take your assets and then you know, flip them so that they can now feed into your retirement so that you're not working at 65. Mm-hmm. You're not working double shifts, you know, where you're still, yeah. you know, doing make your CNH. Money work hard for you. Yeah, make your money work hard. For, and, you know, you're in the finance business. You understand the game, right? So it's it's trying to yeah. get them to understand that, look, that whole daily bread mentality that you brought from Africa has gotten you far. But other immigrant groups are coming in. They're building businesses. They're thriving. And they now have wealth, not just money, but they have wealth that they can now build their generation on moving forward. And they're thriving, not surviving. Right. That's the theme is so trying to get African immigrants, the older aging immigrants to to say, okay, it's not just about surviving anymore. But how do I thrive? How can I sit back, kick my feet up and say, this is me making it my 40 years living here, working, getting a house, building a home. Whether I have a job that has retirement or not, how can I get myself to now live comfortably as I age? For the younger ones like us, how can we use our expertise to create more programs and infrastructures and communities where our aging African aunties, uncles, mothers, fathers, whatever, our elders, how can they find a space where they can be able to age and still feel like they are who they are? Right. That's the, that's the part, not losing yourself and becoming fully American. But how do we create a space where you still feel as African as you are, but you're aging? Mm-hmm. And it's not impossible because I look and I go to these places, these Chinatowns and Korea towns that are all over. The, and they have these spaces for their elders. Yeah, they do. Right. They do. So we, we and we're not. I mean, the, if you look at the data, African immigrants are one of the highest rising, you know, immigrant populations next to Latinx, um, you know, immigrants. We have the capacity, we have the people, we have the experts who can be able to create a community that helps aging healthily for our, you know, older ones who came here before us or came here and gave birth to us. So that's that's what I'm trying to use public health for overall. I think um, you, you've mentioned a lot of uh, great stuff. Um, it's not only, I think, parents that are here. The short time I went home, mm. my sisters have been trying to help my mom mm. Mm. Uh, with her business. With There's like that resistance into like she's stuck in her own ways. And she, I think that's the theme around our parents as to we want to take care of ourselves and also take care of our children, no matter how grown they are. And that's where it's, it causes the problem mm. as to how do we continue to help our parents. Because our parenting uh, patterns are very different Mm -hmm. from the way we we were raised. Mm -hmm. Um, I guess uh, I parent my children very different from the way my mom raised me. And my sister is the same thing. I noticed it's it's very different and it's almost like the same. And that's why we are able to understand that we have to do something for our parents. But our parents are the ones with the resistance. Uh, piece of it. I think yeah. having the forums is a very good idea with uh, Auntie Kimi. And Auntie Kimi, she, she's more of, I guess we would say, like more generational, more open minded. Oh, yeah. For as sure. to receiving uh, what we have to, to yeah. say. Yeah. That will, I think, get into the buy in of yeah. other, um, like our parents, yeah. into that. Yeah. That and that, like you said, I think that was a key piece. Um, having someone like Auntie Kemi, who is um, 
open-minded oh, and willing to talk very to you. Very, very. And she's an advocate for that type of intergenerational dialogue and learning from one another. And because of that, which is why she's a key person when it comes to having these conversations with the elders. Oh, yeah. She's a person. She has to be the mouthpiece because... No, she has to. She has to be, right? So, because None of us can do it. Don't look at you. What's wrong with you're, you? You're why a child. You you're a child, right? No matter how child. old you get, we're still children. Know? Right. And that's, and that's the thing, right? It's like, no matter what, right? It, it's so funny that you're bringing this up because... Um, that was one of the things that I, that I, I, during this pandemic, when we did a, a, a quick study and we interviewed some younger, like people my age who were children of immigrants. And during the pandemic, it was like, these kids were like, they're not kids, but these people were, um, like doctors and nurses. And they were talking about like how they were dealing with the <laughs> pandemic and they were talking about their parents. And it was like, Despite the fact that there were doctors, MDs and stuff, and they would go to their parents and say, Mom, Dad, this is what you need to do, blah, blah, blah. And parents would be like, well, why are you talking to me? Am I not the one that gave birth to you? Am I not the one that changed your diaper? Am I uh-huh. the one that, that fed you when you were small? Why are you telling me now what to do? As like, you know, And that resistance to be able to listen to your children, now that they're the ones with the information and the knowledge. I, which... I need some magic. <laughs> if you find the magic, I need that. Because you have no idea what it took for my mom to get on dialysis. Mm. She had to be almost on deathbed yeah. for her to be on dialysis. Yeah. When it was starting, the doctor said she has to be on dialysis. We tell her my sister is a nurse. Mm-hmm. She's talking from a medical mm-hmm. position. No. Go away with that. <laughs> Literally, she just be because I know so because of the perception, um, whatever the stigma around uh, dialysis mm-hmm. that when you go, it you die, whatever mm-hmm. it is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So she had that in her. It literally when she was on that bed, we did it without her consent. We needed to sign that like, she can't sign. So oh, well, just yeah. do it. Just do it. <laughs> Oh. Yeah, so our parents, please, if you can find the magic, I need that magic so I can sprinkle on my mom. <laughs> well, we're definitely, I'm definitely working on it, and I'm hoping that at some point through these different activities, initiatives, and programs, we can be able to, we can be able to do something and, and make a difference. Um, I have I only have a couple more questions. I know we got to get ready to wrap up. I've taken sure. a lot mm-hmm. of time, but um, no, 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 it's okay. Yeah, so so I want to know. What has your experience, because we, we haven't talked about, like, I want to talk more about, like, you know, you talked about Concrete Pastures a little bit and, and the guests mm-hmm. and, and the great things that you all are doing there. But what has been, and you've had some great interviews with people who have some amazing stories. Mm-hmm. One, the one thank that, you, the one with the, um, the gentleman whose father was kidnapped was really I mean, that was a tough one that I, yeah. Oh, my God. That was a tough one. Yeah, yeah that was a tough one for it, me. It, it's too tough. It's actually still stayed with me. So, yeah, that was a tough one. Yeah. And, and so I wonder, what has your conversations and, and you being, um, you having so many episodes and so many people you've interacted with throughout these, these years, um, what has that done for you as far as your understanding and just how you feel about the immigrant experience overall as it how does it affect it or influence your mindset oh that's a really good question um first i would say we we are all we all have experienced mm-hmm. the same type of challenges mm-hmm. 
at different times. And that's also another reason why I created Concrete Pastures, mm. or I got into on this mission because at first I was very resistant at doing this because it came at a time where I was going through my separation mm. and my, on my healing journey, mm. and this came for me to do. Mm. I didn't feel like uh, inspiring anyone because I needed inspiration. Mm. But in the long run, especially after doing season one, it dawned to me, it dawned on me when I was doing the last episode. I had two episodes that I was working on. The last episode, which was the 20, the 20 episode, that episode I wanted to do it in season two at some point. Mm. Not even like the first one, at some point, whatever. Mm. But that episode just kept coming. And I couldn't do anything else. My It couldn't leave my brain. Mm. I was just guided to do it. I had written out, I normally write out my episodes um, just to get my thoughts together. I put them down. I wrote it down. I got on the mic. Kelechi, I didn't look at my notes not even one time. That's the best feeling. That's amazing. The whole time I'm speaking, this is one hour and change of speaking because I think there was like very little that was edited out, maybe just spaces. Yeah. Other than that, it was everything that came out of me. And then I went to bed. I'm like, I'm not redoing this. However, it came out, it came out. I'm not redoing this. But it was in that episode where everything fell in place to me mm. into alignment with this mission. And also understanding that everybody else was here to be part of my healing. Mm. Mm. That's deep. Instead of the other way around. That's because deep. for me, it was like, I'm going to be inspiring people. Mm. Yes, in a, in, in a way, mm. through my own stories that I've been able to, my own journey that I've been able to share, but all of the guests have poured into me in so many ways. They have stretched me in the way I communicate, mm. in the way I listen. Yeah. I'm still on the in the discovery phase. Mm. I'm not going to sit here and say I'm... It's been a year. I'm still in discovery. I'm I'm a student at this. Yeah. I'm learning just from having this conversation with you. I'm learning every single day. Yeah. I watch so many episodes. I listen to so many episodes just so I could learn. But this journey has been challenging mm. and yet very fulfilling. Mm. And every person that comes pours into my soul in in a, on a different way yeah. and i just continue to learn so that's mostly what i can it's, it's a journey that's very challenging that's that's beautiful i don't <laughs> i don't even there's nothing else you need to add that is powerful um and i that sits with me the the idea of Thank healing you. knowing that we that the people you talk to are, are here to that that's rich that is rich and that's gonna resonate with me. Um, I appreciate that. That that's powerful, because it, oh, it 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 really, God, it makes me think about you know the the journey and what this why I do this in addition to all the other things my why is right and and yeah. so wow yeah no this is why when someone would put if someone puts a comment because if there's a lot of people out there that want to do content. Mm -hmm. Don't be hesitant to do content because of people 
what, that are going to pass comments. Mm -hmm. A lot of those people that are passing comments of how you are reacting, whatever you're making, as long as you are adding value to people's lives and you, you bring value in that space, I would encourage you to go ahead and do it. One, because we don't have your story. And I always was questioning as to why me? That was the biggest question. I'm like, why me? Because this is huge. This is bigger than me. Mm -hmm. I'm just a representative of this. Mm -hmm. It's not for me. Yes, I'm, sometimes I would say, it's, it actually even feels weird to say I on, on this space because it's not for me. Right. It's for everybody else. Yeah. And when they come on, this is their home. Yeah. I have people calling, uh, reaching out. It's like, oh, I want to come back and talk about blah, blah, blah. I'm yeah. like, <laughs> any time yeah. you want, yeah. you can come and do yeah. it, whatever yeah. you want to do. I'm just holding space and I'm just being guided as to where, what direction we have to go mm. each season. Yeah. And if I don't feel moved to reach out to someone, I don't reach out to them. Everybody I reach out to, I feel moved to reach out to them mm -hmm. because it's not for me. Because sometimes there was, I think, a few guests that I'm like, well, I have to reach out to them. What? And then when they come on, I understand why yeah. they are on the podcast. Yeah. Because this is space is not for everybody. Yeah, it's not. It's so not. When they come on, I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> so now I'm just in obedience yeah. with everything else. And just go as I'm guided. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. No, I love it. I love all of that. And it's inspiring to me, even though I've been doing this for five seasons, it's, it's still, it just kind of reminds me as to why I kind of continue on. And so to be able to have conversations like these um, with people like you and understanding you. what you're doing, it, it really, it really does reinvigorate me on times, you know, because I got to a point where initially my first season, I was really trying to, you know, figure it out. I was just doing it as a hobby and just saying whatever happens, happens. But yeah, over time, I was like, people are, I mean, not just people loving it, but people really are resonating with it. People are seeing what, you know, and, and really seeing themselves in this and really using this as a space to be able to truly reconnect and have these conversations and have be able to share things about their experiences that we would never really know that they typically yeah. don't. And it, and it just became a point where, you know, I know people do the podcast and they're doing it. Some people do it for, you know, the money, the clicks, the downloads, all that stuff. And that's cool. Like I, I understand that. But at some point, yeah. by, the, by my second season, um, I really reached a point where I was like, I'm doing this for something, like you said, bigger than me. This is a this is at this point. I started doing it for my kids, right? And I yeah. and I would make sure that, you know, every season I interview my kids. I interview my oldest daughter every year. Every season we have a daddy daughter talk. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. Check y'all listen. Saw that. Yeah. I'm gonna click on you that. Check on I it. saw yeah. that. So I'm she like, and, I, I wanna Yeah. I, wanna and hear that. I interview her every year since you know, since she since I started. All the way from her being, you know, from when she was about six, um, seven, and now she's twelve. But I've interviewed her every year, and it's, and that's always that's that was intentional because I want her to be able to go back because I realized that these podcasts would be here <laughs> whenever, right? And yeah. so she can always go back years from now and be able to listen to conversations she's had with her dad and listen to see who she was then, 
and who she is now. And so is that it started to evolve into that where it was like, it's no longer just about me. Right. It's really about you all like it's really about, you know, so I interview my father in law. Tell your story. You know, my dad is coming from Nigeria in August and I want to be able to interview him. Tell your story, because now I'm starting to think about I want your great, great, great grandkids. I wish I could hear my great, 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 my grandfather's voice or my great grandfather's yeah. voice. Right. And so it's become a time capsule. Even though we're still talking about these transnational experiences, I realize that that's going to grow. That's going to do its own thing and flourish. And if people come back and say, hey, Kalechi was talking about this then. Cool. But it's not what I'm doing it for. Now I'm doing it just to be able to have everyday people share their stories about how unique their lives are and how they've been able to overcome challenges overcome identity crises, be able to figure mm-hmm. out who they are and be able to figure out how they're going to thrive or even what they need to be able to express what they need and how we can come as a community to do that. Um, yeah, this is why we do it. And this is this is why I'm, I'm glad to be able to talk with you. This is amazing. I love it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've already responded in yeah. a way why um, if you found your complete pastures. Oh, I did. I answered it already. <laughs> uh, in a way, I yeah. mean, in, in, in a way. Yeah. No. But I, have you found your concrete pastures? I I absolutely believe I have. Um, I'm in a, I'm in a state where it doesn't get more concrete than this for me, especially in this state right now. And I don't know what it is, what 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 the future holds, and what God has in, in store for me. But for for where I was growing up and the steps that I've taken and how I found myself to where I am, it's all been the grace of God has all been, you know, my wife and I have a saying that says, you know, thank God for this winding road that led me to you. And it's a winding road. I have no idea. I was really, there were so many, I always think at times like I was one decision away and I didn't even realize it from living a completely different life, having a completely Mm -hmm. different path. And so to be here now and to understand what my calling is at such a young age, to understand what my passion is and to understand how I'm, I want to go about um, fulfilling that and being able to be a servant while also leading the best way I can, um, yeah. <clears throat> using this platform and using my other, um, my God-given talents, uh, my gifts, uh, and to be able to serve and impact. And so, so when I say that, you know, philosophically, I've always gone by the belief, you know, I believe in mentoring, I believe in all those things. But I say I'm in my concrete pastures because I've always been a firm believer that I don't want to be, I used to tell friends, and I still say it now, that I don't want to be Jesus, I just want to be Moses. And so I won't, I'm not trying to die for (laughs) y'all, but I'm trying to be, I'm trying to lead you and open doors for you to to see something that could potentially change the way we do health, the way we live our lives. When you're able to realize what this transnationalism is um, and what that does as far as our abilities to be able to bridge the gaps and even expound, I'm not expound, but expand and and open and connect more and, and become more global citizens. Um, I'm not necessarily trying to lose my sanity and, and essentially lose the important things that I value, like my family for that, but I am yeah. trying to be a gatekeeper and I don't care about being the best. I just want others, my, my successes, my juniors, my younger ones or anyone my, my, to be able to push it further so that we can all lead better lives so that not just my parents, but me, I want to be able to age healthily and live a healthy life and a happy life. So, 
um, I have found my concrete patches and I'm, and I'm very glad that I can be able to stand upon it. That's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. And it's such a blessing to be a servant to others. I I think it's, it, it's such a, it's a different fulfill, fulfillment that you get to yeah. be able to serve a community and yeah. to give to them wholeheartedly and without thinking of yourself. Yeah. yeah. And it's a gift that gives back to you. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think you already answered my last question, which was essentially your legacy. And I think what you said that moment, I just want to leave that. I just want to right. bottle that. So we're going to bottle that up and, and, and I'm ready, you know, I'm going to let you wrap this up because I opened it up. I'll let you wrap it up and, and we can close it out from there. Oh my God. This has been an amazing conversation. You are doing amazing things. Black is transnational. Yes. I love it. I love what you're doing. Um, how can we find you and how can we support you? Absolutely. You can follow the page, the podcast page on Instagram and Facebook at Black Transnational Podcast. And we're also on Twitter, kind of. A Twitter is, a, you know, <laughs> Twitter can be a little bit uh, hectic, but um, we're on Twitter as well at MB Transnational. And um, I am on Instagram primarily at Black Transnational underscore. That's how you can follow me the host you can find a podcast my black my black is transnational and any of your favorite podcast listening apps just search for it whether you use apple stitcher google wherever you can find it there listen to it we got five seasons great review it um yeah, we appreciate your support and also we're on youtube i'm sorry i should mention that we just started youtube so i, I still haven't gotten that as part of my like spill but we're on youtube now so you can also find us on youtube as well the fifth Love season the yeah the fifth season is on all videos but we're still like retroactively uploading previous seasons which weren't recorded on video so you have a lot more audio from season one to season like four and a half but um season five is all of the video episodes that we're doing now beautiful are you gonna let us know how we can contact you or my, my, my... <laughs> yes uh you can find concrete pastures any on any platform apple spotify uh anywhere you can get your podcast and we are also on instagram youtube uh instagram is concrete pastures underscore uh concrete underscore pastures and then facebook is just concrete pastures follow us like the page read us and we have videos from season one all the way to now um we might have some delays here and there with one or two videos but we are uploading our videos so please subscribe we are growing our community whatever you're watching um our community is growing so please share and uh, subscribe to the channel this was fun sis i really appreciate the collab and uh and I hope that we can do more of these moving forward. This is awesome. It's been an honor. Yes. I appreciate you staying up with me. We'll talk soon. If you like what you heard, please be sure to rate, subscribe, and review the podcast. You can learn more about this podcast by visiting our website at blacktransnational.com. Until next time, my name is Dr. Kalechi Bay Lamberts. My black is transnational. And I hope by the end of this, yours will be too. Peace. <laughs>